pray with me. Lord, we thank you for another day in our lives. We thank you for bringing us here this morning to worship you. I pray today we would know the power of your resurrection. And with boldness, we would leave here to not only share your message with actions, but also with words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had, had an experience that changed the way you looked at everything? When I was in my early 30s, I was living in southwest Virginia, near Blacksburg, Virginia, Roanoke, kind of in between, in a town called Marion, Virginia, which was the home of Mountain Dew. That's where, not the moonshine Mountain Dew, but the uh, soft drink they had invented, invented that. Maybe some of the moonshine, too. I don't know. But uh, I lived there for four years and was working for Young Life, a non-denominational youth ministry. I was part of a great ministry. We saw many kids come to Christ, had great volunteer leaders. But living in the middle of nowhere and being from suburban Washington, D.C., and being still single, it was a lonely place to live, and it was hard to find people that had a lot in common with you. And I remember uh, during, towards the end of those four years, I started getting restless. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was a uh, mentor to me, and he said, you know, Steve, you've been working on this seminary degree very slowly. Have you ever thought about going full time? And he said, and if you do, I recommend Regent in Vancouver, British Columbia. He said it was a beautiful place, great school, and I thought about it, and I said, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to do that. So I got in my Toyota pickup truck with over 250,000 miles on it, threw my dog and a camper top in it, and got to put my kayak on top and my mountain bike and drove across the country. A few auto repairs later, I uh, made it, got there, and had the time of my life. I met amazing people, had amazing professors. I went from a lot of isolation where I was living to great community, met Great people from all over the world, from New Zealand, Australia, to the U.K., Ireland, you name it. I felt like I had a friend from these places. It was an incredible time, so much that I wanted to tell everybody about it. Back home, I kept telling Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver. I tell stories, and people, I think, were getting pretty bored with my stories. I was even starting to get bored with my own stories I was telling them so many times. But I think when we've had a great experience, we can't help but tell people about it. Perhaps you've had an experience like that, that changed the way you've seen the world. This experience touched, experience touched you in such a way that you had trouble not telling people about it. Maybe it was a travel experience. Maybe it was a relationship. Or maybe it was something a little more traumatic, like a, a sickness or a traumatic uh, you know, event you went through or accident. Or perhaps it was a retreat, a mission trip, or a church service where you met Christ and you felt like you felt the presence of God, and it changed the way from that point forward on how you lived your life. Being in youth ministry for a long time, I've heard a lot of great stories and seen a lot of uh, uh, just inspiring people. Um, there was a girl who was one of my colleagues when I was a young lady when I was in Richmond, Virginia. Her name was Missy, and Missy had a great friend in high school named Stephen B. And uh, Stephen had gone to a retreat, had met Christ. 17 years old, he was baseball player, kind of all-American uh, kid, and it had changed and impacted him. But toward the end of the summer, he was working at a neighborhood pool, and he was on the lifeguard stand, and he decided to dive off the, the board in the lifeguard stand, and he underestimated the water and became a quadriplegic. 
Now, you would think that a traumatic event like that might be like the defining moment of your life as far as that may be something that all you could talk about. But his relationship with Christ superseded this so much that he still became involved with youth ministry, the same organization that brought him to Christ. He volunteered. He told as many people as he could not about becoming paralyzed, but but about his relationship with Christ. He couldn't stop talking about it. And right up to his death, he ended up dying of an aneurysm and complications from being quadriplegic. He continued to share and he because of what happened to him, he got to share with the Cincinnati Reds, the president of the United States, which was Jimmy Carter at that time. He shared with everybody about his faith and how it had impacted him. Now, the early apostles were the same way. You see, they had met the living Christ. They had witnessed the resurrection. And because of this experience, it was natural for them to tell everybody about it because they'd never seen anything like that before. They were skeptics at first because nobody had ever seen a resurrected person who had been dead for that many days walking around. But they had seen him and they couldn't stop talking about him. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in spite of intense persecution, they wanted to tell everybody about their experience with the living Christ. And now 2000 years later, this is good news for us because this same message that they proclaimed is a message that we have the charge of proclaiming as well. And I know that may sound a little daunting. It means I've got to share my faith with people. But I'm telling you, when you come in contact with the living God and you have that experience, you too cannot stop talking about it. Today we're going to focus on our first reading from Acts. Because in Acts, we clearly see the apostles' boldness to proclaim the gospel in spite of persecution. The book Acts is called Acts for a reason because it was about action. It was acts of these people acting on what they had seen in the resurrection and living that out, telling people about it. Their whole proclamation of the gospel, the reason they were excited, is hinged on their experience of the resurrection. So they had witnessed this and they experienced it. And they writes in our reading Uh, It says the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. God exalted him to his own right hand as the prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. They had a strong witness. They were there. The words of Jesus, when they were walking with all of a sudden made sense, they're like, whoa, that wasn't just a metaphor when he said, I am the resurrection of the life. It was true. The Apostle Paul, who eventually came into the fold and became one of the apostles, experienced uh, the risen Lord on his uh, journey to Damascus. And he writes about the importance of this resurrection. He writes, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. He later writes, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. Paul always said things with a lot of boldness, but he understood the resurrection was crucial. It was the foundation of our faith. From that foundation, they became empowered with the Holy Spirit and they began to share this message. And as I mentioned earlier, they had intense persecution It wasn't like people said, we don't like you because we think you're weird. You're sharing this message. Many of them were flogged, as we heard in our uh, reading today. Actually, if you read on in chapter five, 
Eventually, they're released uh, from prison, but they're flogged first just to let them know that, you know, don't do it again. But they continue to share in spite of this intense persecution. It says they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So their growth model for their early church was simple. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and talk about it. And that's what they did. Finally, it was successful because it was a God-inspired mission. The Pharisee uh, Gamaliel, I'm probably butchering his name a little bit, but I'm going to say it with confidence. Gamaliel states later in Acts chapter 5, he says, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And 2,000 years later, Christianity has grown to the largest religion in the world. With latest accounts of over 2.2 billion people who claim to be Christians. That's a third of the population from these few people that started off believing. You know, in Acts chapter 1-8, the very beginning of Acts, uh, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, was with these uh, same apostles. And he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It wasn't difficult for them. They had met the risen Christ. They responded to this. They were filled with the spirit and they understood that God was behind this. They understood Paul's words. If God is for us, who can be against us? So how does this message apply to to you today, to myself today? Well, we're called to share this same message. Unfortunately, for many people from the Anglican tradition, we're not always very good at this. A friend of mine from a Pentecostal background, he goes, I know you Episcopalians. You guys are like the secret service. You have this powerful message, but you kind of like to keep it covert. You like to be sort of camouflaged. And I think there's probably a little truth to that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be laughing so much. But uh, we do have this powerful message. But so often we kind of are like that cable commercial where we're settlers. We know that this message is true, but we just kind of settle with it and we don't act upon it. But if the resurrection is true, it can't be just moderately important. I got that from C.S. Lewis. He writes, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If we're going to be people who follow Christ, our proclamation of the gospel is not just an option. It is a command to go out and to share this message with everybody. So my question for each of us today, have you experienced the living Christ? And if not, why not? What have you been missing? And that's not to scold you, but to say, open your eyes to God. Invite him into your heart. If you're having trouble, like I had a high school kid recently said, I just don't know if any of this makes sense. I was like, that's okay. I was with you. The same thing when I was in high school and even as an adult at times. Pray to God. Ask him to reveal himself to you. And I promise you that he won't let you down, that he'll fill that void in you, that he'll let you know that he's true. And as he does this, you can't help but tell people about this message. 
Now, I know none of us witnessed the resurrection. You may be saying that, too. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Remember Thomas, who wanted to see, you know, doubting Thomas, they call him. Well, Jesus uh, later said, uh, and that's, you know, after he showed Thomas the scars on his uh, on his wrist and showed him that, you know, on his side that he he was the wasn't just a ghost or a figment of their imagination, but he was the real resurrected person of Christ. He writes these things, but these are written. Okay, now he says right there. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those. That's all of us who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And it says, but these things are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So we're blessed when we haven't seen, but we come to faith. How is that possible? It's possible because the Holy Spirit sends other people. Otherwise, you all wouldn't be here today. Somebody has brought you here this morning. We all have our stories, our testimonies of why this is even important to us. God uses the Holy Spirit through other people to bring us to Christ, to let us know that the resurrection is true and to share that message with other people. And then we, too, can be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit when we come to believe. And when we do this, we can't keep it private. And I've been that guy who likes to kind of camouflage myself. You know, I'm a full-time minister, so let me just kind of be off work, put my punch card in and not really have to talk to people about it. But for whatever reason, God has a sense of humor. I remember one time I, had, I, was, I graduated from college, went back to a Virginia Tech game because they were finally good. They had Michael Vick on their team. And I went to a, uh, a restaurant, it was like a bar restaurant, and a friend of mine, we were grabbing a sandwich and a drink, we were starving, and this guy comes over to me, I'm not kidding you, and he had definitely had way too many, and he looked at me and goes, you, he's like, you believe in God, you're a Christian, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even hide here. And so, yeah, I had to talk with this guy who was half lit about uh, my faith, and, uh, but you know what, when you're filled with the Spirit, God is going to put people in your life that have this hunger for God. And he's given us the message not just to love them or clothe them or feed them, although all those things are important, but to tell them, to proclaim this message that Jesus is our hope, that the resurrection is true. Dwayne Lifton, the president of uh, Wheaton College, recently addressed this whole issue of people trying to keep their faith private. He said it is simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inerrantly verbal, and preaching the gospel is inerrantly a verbal behavior. And Greg reminded me this, uh, the most uh, powerful of all, Jesus used words. He not only loved people, but he used words as he proclaimed the truth of God, the truth of the need for repentance and forgiveness of sins. That whole phrase that we like to use, preach the gospel when necessary, use words, We kind of take that to the extreme and say, "Okay, we're never going to use words, but we'll kind of preach the gospel by our lives. But that doesn't work. We have to do both. So as a church community here today, I know it can be intimidating because the two things you're not supposed to talk about are what politics and religion. Right. But we're talking about a living faith, a real thing. We're not trying to argue with people. We're just telling them what we know. That's what a witness does. And we're inviting people. It's interesting, as a minister, I've been out with different people, and sometimes they're just a better inviter than I am. I've been out to uh, places here with some of you in this congregation. They see people, hey, do you go to church? Meet Steve, meet Nathan. You know, been out with people like that. Be an inviting church. Just invite people, not only to church, but to 
fellowships, to Bible studies. You're setting the table table for them to hear the greatest message that, that God came to the world for sinners just like you and I to forgive us of our sins and to give us everlasting life. Timothy Keller reminds us that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So we shouldn't be afraid to invite our crazy friends out here, okay? Not just people that look good, that would kind of blend in here well. It doesn't matter. None of us look good. We all are sinners. We all need God. The second thing to make it not quite so intimidating is to know your audience. Paul was a master at this. When he was in Athens, he looked around and they had all these other gods, and he was very mad about this because Paul, you know, got upset about things. But rather than just kind of scold them, he saw one God that said, to the unknown God, and he's like, there's my in. So when he preached to the Athenians, he said, let me tell you about the God who can be known. I saw you have this statue of the unknown God. And from that sermon, many people came to Christ. He knew his audience. Clothe everything in love. That's the final thing for us to think about. Mother Teresa said, I want you to be concerned about your next door neighbor. And then she said, do you know your next door neighbor? Because we all talk about loving our neighbor. Do we even know him? Oftentimes we don't in our society today. Tim Keller writes, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Remember the whole acts of the apostles? He said, as soon as you do this, we'll find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you understand that God loves you, you can't help but love people. This sets the table to proclaim the gospel. And nine times out of ten, people are going to respond positively. They may not come to faith, but that's God's job. We're not living life just to be liked. When we do that, usually we're not that liked. We all know those people that are just trying to be liked too much. But just to share what we know is to be true. So right now in the Episcopal calendar, we are still in the Easter season. I, uh, I know most of you know this. Some of you may not. But this resurrection message, I challenge you, have you been touched by the resurrection? If not, why not? And if you haven't, read God's word. Pray. Spend time in fellowship with other believers. Ask God to reveal himself to you. When you do this, he'll fill you with the spirit and put people in your life. They're going to ask you why you have hope. And you can just tell them what you know. And God is ultimately in charge. He's the one who's in charge of people coming to know Christ. Keep that in mind. As I close to pray, uh, to pray for us, I want to read you uh, first. This is from the Kenyan liturgy, and it's a beautiful closing prayer they have. When I finish, I'll, uh, I'll pray. The closing prayer goes like this. Help us to walk daily in the communion of saints. That's all of us right here. Declaring our faith in the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body. Now send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit to live and work for your praise and glory. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your family. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Help us not to keep this message to ourselves. Overwhelm us with your Holy Spirit so we can share Christ with other people this week. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.